We are in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 20. Many of you have read this passage if you've been reading along in our Bible reading plan. Uh, But if you have not, uh, as you've noticed in this series, I'll be jumping around a little bit. We're not preaching through some of the more popular passages, uh, but hopefully you will uh, keep your Bibles open because we'll be going back and forth to several passages this morning. Uh, And we'll finish up over the next couple of weeks, so please read through 2 Kings chapter 2. So what do we see here? What are we seeing as we continue to look at the life of David and those around him? One theme continues to pop up, and you see it here again, and that's constant distress, constant trouble. He's just been reestablished as king. David is now back, and yet his life, as we just looked through these few uh, uh, verses, there's still trouble. Go back to chapter 19. Absalom has been defeated. He's been killed. David has been restored. Everything is rainbows and cotton candy and unicorns, and it's just constant stuff. It does not stop. If you're, you're a mom, you know this. Whether it's been working at home all day or working at your vocational, whatever that is, you've been just had a hard, difficult day. Finally, all the kids are in bed and you finally sit down to read that book. That book you've been wanting to read all day. It's about 8.30, 9.30. And what is the one word you finally hear? Mom. Right? Dad's the same thing. Whether at home or on the job, you've just had a tough day, you've been through it, you finally get to sit down in your chair, watch some sports center, it's about 9, 9.30, and what do you hear? Dad. And so guys, we're the ones who then yell, Mom. Yeah, we were the ones doing that. You finally get settled, just let me have a minute And you get to this point in David's life, Absalom's defeated, rebellion's over, things are good, let's just settle down. But it's not just here with Sheba. You see that David goes to make things right with the Gideonites, and this famine is not his fault. Scripture's clear, it's Saul's fault. He's dealing with that. So much of David's life is cleaning up after everybody else. And maybe you've known that, whether it's with children or with parents or in an extended family or at work or in a church family it's a great ministry you have but it's not your fault and yet it's somehow it's on your shoulders you we're going to talk about that more next week but then you get to second samuel 21 and you still got the sons of goliath that david's men are having to kill even one with six fingers on every hand and every foot and if you grew up in the 80s, you know what that means. Somebody at some point in that killing said, my name is Nigo Montoya. You kill, no, so many people you grew up in the 80s. Bloodshed continues. Now we get a report of David's last words and the activities of his mighty men in chapter 22, 23, but go to chapter 24, skip over to 24. And just because something's going on out there that's not your fault, doesn't, it doesn't, we have to be careful, as, as you heard Carrie and, and Blake say, search me and try me, own our own stuff, our own sin. David can also be the cause of what's happening in his life. And you see it in chapter 24 with the census. Um, the language here may confuse things, but the most important thing is David wanted to know the numbers. 
Maybe David, as some commentators say, he knew that, look, life is distress, and so that's just going to keep coming, and so let me have a plan B. I need to know the numbers. Do you do, you do that? Do you have a plan B? I know I'm going to seek the Lord, but I, I'm going to have something in my back pocket in case God doesn't show up. And so you see David doing that here. And again, um, it's a great life lesson for us. Even when we're dealing with all that out there, so many of us are in this season, to watch ourselves, to guard our hearts, to take every thought captive, because how quickly this temptation comes again to David to manipulate or to control or to take care of things. It just doesn't stop. Yes, it doesn't stop from outside, but also inside you see David who just wants some peace, wants a break, wants to know that things are going to be okay, and you see him in the midst of worrying, just going to take things into control. We should not be surprised when distress comes. Don't let that affect our trust and letting God be God. We have our part, yes, but let, listen, we should know it's going to be that way. The son of David, Jesus Christ, our Savior, had said, in this world you will have trouble. Paul says it to the church in Ephesians in chapter 6. This is not a flesh and blood thing. There, you got that, but then you've got rulers and powers and forces of darkness, goes on, goes on to say spiritual forces of darkness. It's always coming. Don't you get caught up and let your guard down. It's a constant war. Well, preacher, that's refreshing. That's uplifting in this season where, we're, where it's all about us. But it's, a, it's something we have to remember because, again, by definition, First John just draws that line for us. This is what the world does. This is what the world does. And this is what the world looks like. You're not of this world. You're not of this world. And so as Jesus told his disciples and tells us, you should expect trouble in this world. And so trust him. David takes things into his own hands. We should. It's not, it's not as though we don't expect God to show up, but we should understand this is what it's like in this world and not be surprised by that. It doesn't mean God hate you it doesn't mean God's against you but you're in this world I we had one of my best friends in life uh come spend the weekend with us two weekends ago I think and uh he's 46 years old but he's really 12 he has some needs and he's really 12 but he was in our second youth group and has been a, we've been friends for 30 uh, almost yeah almost 30 years and uh we were talking once about a hockey match yes we have hockey in mississippi there's club hockey at mississippi state and an old miss and i remember talking to him one time and him having the most incredible insight to that i was telling him about the old miss mississippi state hockey game now i think the final score was 19 to nothing so anytime you see a hockey score you count it as touchdowns so that's like 130 something 133 to nothing or whatever but the worst part is they outshot us so much, and I'm a Mississippi State grad, you know that. They outshot us so much that when they got to 99 in the shot count on the score, it clicked over to 0-0 when it got to 100. So in my mind, for just a minute, I took a picture. I'm like, hey, we're up three shots to zero. You know, at least it looked like that. They beat us in every facet of the game. I think they were even letting the player's family come on the ice and play. It was so bad. Now, this is wrong, what I'm about to say to you, so I repent of this. 
But a fight broke out, a really bad fight. And in my mind, for just a minute, there was the temptation to say, let us please at least win this, right? Because we were just getting wiped all over the floor in every aspect of the game. Let us at least win this. And, and they did. I repent. We did. But I remember telling this to my friend Chuck, who's a big state fan. His brother played for state. He's all Mississippi State. And I remember telling him, though, I said, Chuck, this, got, this was a bad fight. I mean, it was really, I couldn't believe they let this go on. I couldn't believe how bad it was. It was nasty. And he just looked at me with, with this puzzled look on his face and said, what would you expect? They're rivals. What did, you, what did you expect? You read 1 John. You, you look at the life of our Savior. You read 2 Samuel and David's life. What, what did you expect? In this world, we bump into TV preachers and, 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 and prosperity gospel that tells us, hey, we should get every parking spot close to the store because we're under God's favor. And you read Jesus and you see David and you listen to John. It's, it doesn't mean that God's love is removed from us. It doesn't mean that God doesn't favor his people. But this is what we, this is the reality we live in. So don't feel beat down when there's struggle. You look at the great heroes and heroines of the faith, and there's always frustration. There's always trials. You read church history, and it's littered with saints of God who went through it because they're in this world. Now, the good news for David is, as we've looked at his story, he's now allowing people of God to speak into his life, whether it's Nathan or others, and to encourage him, and that holds him up. And you see later in 2 Samuel 23, it's the Spirit of God. 2 Samuel 24, it's his own heart and conscience that, that convicts him about sin, where he has previously been blind to sin, and now he can see his sin and turn from that. But now here, um, after this, because of the census, and you go uh, to this scripture, 2 Samuel 24, 14. Yes, David says in that verse, I am in great distress. But after that, after that moment, God gives him basically three options. Because of his grasping, his wanting to control, to have this sense, as he says, seven years of famine, 23 months of being pursued by enemies, or three days of plague. What would you choose? Now, this is on you. This isn't on Saul, that earlier famine. This is on you for the census taking. It's your issue. What do you choose? Do you choose seven years of famine for anybody, 23 months of you being pursued, or three days of plague? David circles the wagons. Give us some plague, and people die. Now, David's sin, we know, has, has caused the death of his own son, but here you see even more people paying a price for his decision. And that's the real heartbreak for us on sin. I wish my sin and my consequences stayed with me. One of the reminders from our Wesleyan tradition is the effects and the ramifications of sin can be corporate. And you see that ripple effect here. It doesn't just stay with me, but there's, there's a corporate effect to that, and you just... You see how others can pay a price when we don't stay close to Jesus and we don't stay close to what God has called us clearly to do.
Here's David, a warrior, and yet he's allowing others to pass through a fire. Ravi Zacharias, in one of his books, talked about one of David's sons, King Solomon, and about how he, on a mountain, would house his, pagans wi- his pagan wives. It's what they called the Mount of Offense, because here were these pagan wives in the Holy Land. And it's interesting, Ravi makes the, Dr. Zacharias makes the conclusion, it's interesting that when you come off that mountain, you have to walk through a valley where they would do two things. And it's, they would either burn trash, but as we've seen in our Bible reading plan, and we'll talk about this Wednesday at our pastor's Bible study, there's at least a couple instances, even in the life of the people of God, where they made their sons pass through that fire. It's actually a valley where we get the word hell from. Whenever you visit the mountain of offense, Rabbi Zachariah says your kids will have to pass through the fire. Who is it? As I look at my life, search me and try me, God. Where in my life, because of my decisions, are others paying a price? The temptation can come to circle the wagons, to try to defend myself or or my, my family or my little tribe instead of coming to the Lord, instead of taking it on my own chin. And this is a tough word, but David doesn't do the right thing here. And as we've talked about so many times through this season is, Wesley's first rule to his followers were, and to his Methodists were, don't do any harm. And you see in David stepping back and say, well, let's just let this short little time of plague be for others. Let's examine our own lives today. Where are we allowing others to struggle because of our decisions? Now, it's interesting. We've talked about this other theme. We're almost done. We've talked about this other thing. But let's go back to our passage today in chapter 20 with Sheba. Um, David's men don't even have to do the dirty work there. Joab eventually goes out. Now, just about Joab, you know, if you've been reading in our, in our scriptures, he is an enforcer because he not only kills Abner without permission and Absalom without permission, uh, but when Amasa is tasked by David, you go out and you take care of this in this short amount of time, and he delays in doing that, Joab basically comes up to, to greet him grabs him by the beard, and stabs him and kills him. I mean, this is Godfather-like stuff because you delayed in doing what the king does. By the way, if any of you struggle with a family member who runs late, buy him a devotional in 2 Samuel and make sure they read that passage. All right. It's another example, and you see it with some of David's mighty men, of people standing in the gap. David has called this, let's do what we've been called to do. When Joab finally gets to, I can't say it because we have children here, but when finally he gets to the city, a woman calls time out, give me a minute, goes back inside the wall city, comes out and throws out the top part of Sheba to them. Says, you, you take, you know, we're done, we know about Joab, you go, ahead, you go ahead and we'll make peace with you. Joab follows the leading of King David and also says we're not going to let this one crush us or destroy us or divide the two kingdoms. Uh, I wonder who that is for you. In your workplace or at home, where you just, you've got to take a stand for the wisdom of God or the will of God, the ways of God, maybe, the, maybe even for the grace of God. Of God, when everybody else wants to beat somebody up because of their sin, but they're trying to come back to God, you need to stand in the gap for them and be an advocate and a blessing. I love, I love the resolve here, at least at this point, of Joab. 
So distress comes to us all. All believers who are in the world are going to struggle. The temptation can come as it did to David to circle the wagons. Where do we need to stand in the gap? And then one other thing, let's flip over to 2 Samuel 22, and we're done. In the midst of all of this, of real life and real struggle, what is a huge part of the remedy? How is it that David gets through and what we see page after page in his life? It's worship. The critical importance of worship in David's life. It's really how 2 Samuel basically ends. 2 Samuel 24, 25, David built an altar there to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. When David, even when David's child dies, what does he immediately do because of his sin with Bathsheba? He, get, he, he gets up and worships. Worship has always been a huge part of his life, even in the midst of struggle, even in his own repentance. It does not keep him from worship. He does not let the distress and stuff around his life keep him from God. Have you been there? Well, this is happening in my family. This is happening at work. And somehow it keeps you or you allow it to keep you from enjoying the presence of God and coming to God. We get to chapter 22. Even after his own failures or all the distress around his life, chapter 22, verse 4. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And it's verse after verse. Verse 34, he makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on high places. Verse 47, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. With all that's around him, with his kids, after kid, after kid, with issues with his wife. We looked at last week, one of his wives, with his friends not doing what he's asked them or given them permission to do. And with enemies all around him, where we find David, place after place, is still a heart for God. Let me get close to him and worship him. We will take it on the chin in this world doesn't mean that God doesn't love. It doesn't mean that God isn't present. Turn your hearts to him in worship. Listen, we will also in this world be tempted to take things into our own hands, to have a plan B. How is your trust of Jesus and his will? Is it his will first and just his will? I wish in this season we could have closing hymns, but we just can't do it. So as we close this morning, I just want us to, to pray together in silence, and I just want to read to you the words of a hymn. When we're tempted or we see life as David saw it here, let us turn to our Savior and simply trust him. With whatever that is, where we might be tempted to circle the wagons for ourselves, wherever we may be beaten down because of the world seems to just be against us at every point, we're still going to worship and we're still going to trust. Let us pray. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word and to rest upon his promise and to know thus saith the Lord. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood and in simple faith to plunge us neath the healing, cleansing flood. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus from self and from sin to cease, and from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. I'm so glad I've learned to trust him, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that he is with me.
and he will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Lord Jesus, we do praise you. In the midst of the struggles that we have in this world, we can trust you and know that you are sovereign Lord, that you're a God of compassion, that you are always near. We also pray that by your word and by your spirit, you would show us where we have taken things into our own hands, where there are places that we need to repent, to turn from and to trust your healing grace, to trust the cleansing of your blood. We thank you, Jesus, that we can meet you in this sacred hour with one another and to worship in the midst of any struggle in our own lives, in the midst of struggle all around us, that promise that you inhabit the praises of your people, that you are with us. We praise you and we thank you for that. It is in your name that we pray all these things. Amen.